following is a vintage broadcasting publication presented by Frank Goss. The following podcast is entitled Dewey's Dumbing Down of the American Children. This series is concentrated on the state of public education in the United States of America. I want you to know that I've been truly surprised with everything that I've discovered regarding education in the United States of America. Some have lauded our educational system as one of the best in the world, and previously, prior to the introduction of Horace Mann, the educational level of the United States was far above average, and it was recognized throughout the world. However, with the advent and implementation of our public educational system, I would have to disagree with that assessment today. Even by our own national standard, America is lagging far behind in the essentials, the core essentials such as reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's incredibly sad to discover these things, and the more I study, the more I see. Now, personally, I was not a stellar student. I was young and wild and child of the 50s and the 60s and had longings to be a free spirit. Books were rarely opened in my household, and my desire to learn eventually came, but it was long after I left school. I discovered history, the Bible, the classics, and John Ludlow. I could not get enough time in the day to read all I wanted to read, and I began to study and to ask questions and then look for answers, and my reading comprehension picked up, and I began to understand. And eventually, I wanted others to know what I knew, not in some egotistical manner, but to help them along the way. The more I read, the more I was discovering. And the more I read, the more I discovered. I discovered that the men that built America were not the men I had imagined them to be. Someone told me long ago, don't study about your heroes. The role these men played in the formation of America, modern America, is not that admirable. I am by no means a liberal. And some say that I would make Barry Goldwater appear to be a liberal. I hear Mark Levin and others singing the praises of John D. Rockefeller and Henry Ford and Andrew Carnegie. I cannot and will not do that. It was their greed and their personal lust for power that turned this nation into what it is today. What we see is the fruit of their labor. Yes, it is. Upton Sinclair, a true muckraker and a virulent political activist bent on destroying American capitalism, managed to stir the mind of the nation with his progressive ideas way back at the early part of the 20th century. His popular work, The Jungle, managed to have a tremendous impact on society and deeply impacted then-President Theodore Roosevelt. Sinclair, promoted and prodded by William Randolph Hearst, had his progressive ideas flooding the streets and impacting the nation. We're referring to some very turbulent times when we talk about Sinclair and William Hearst. We're talking about the robber barons, and they were not referred to by this title due to their overwhelming kindness and their gentle spirit. While I have a deep respect for Mark Levin, I cannot understand how he would pen the book American Marxist and then offer praise and adulation for these guys. I grew up being taught to have a great respect for John Dewey and Horace Mann, John D. Rockefeller, Andrew Carnegie, J.P. Morgan, Cornelius Vanderbilt, and Andrew Mellon. I read about these guys. And I envision these men as sincere and devout men committed to the growth of a nation, frontier sorts, uh, plowing through the difficulties, working when everybody said no. And the more I read, the more I discovered why they were tagged with the title of robber barons.
These men banded together in some fun public education in order to see an end product that they could use. The product had to meet their standards. They each needed educated labor. They needed men and women who had a knowledge of what needed to be done with a true understanding of working together for the good of not the nation, but their corporation. This translated out in reality as being working for the good of the collective and for the benefit of the state. And by all accounts, that is not an error in my understanding. These men did not have the nation at heart as much as they had their own personal wealth in mind. Dewey and Mann were statists and Marxists. Dewey was enamored by Lenin's Marxist approach in the Soviet Union. Dewey was a committed humanist. Signing the initial Humanist Manifesto, he held tightly to religion, one that he had envisioned and one that he held to tightly. He had a God of his own making, and he forced his beliefs into the minds of the children that he taught. He came from the idea of historical materialism. This was the undergirding philosophy that guided the religious aspirations of this man. Financially, he was funded by Carnegie and Rockefeller. Many do not realize that Carnegie and Rockefeller funded over 60% of all higher learning in the United States during their day. Their desires became manifest over time, and their money went not only to support John Dewey, but Marxism, pragmatism, humanism as governing principles, as well as a one-world government agenda. Now, before you roll your eyes and cluck your tongue, keep in mind that it was John D. Rockefeller's money that was used to finance and establish the United Nations. And also, it was his son, David Rockefeller, who said, Some even believe we, the Rockefeller family, are part of a secret cabal working against the best interest of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. One world, if you will. If that is the charge... I stand guilty, and I'm proud of it. This was what David Rockefeller had to say in his book, Memoirs, on page 405. It doesn't take a great deal of digging to find these things. They lie just below the surface. Someone said a while back that you do not have to open a lot of doors before you realize that you're in a madhouse. But once the door is open, what you see cannot be forgotten. The question I'm forced to ask is why? Why? And there's only one conclusion I can come to. There's an all-consuming lust among these men and among our leaders, among the elite and the wealthy, for wealth and control. The men of wealth have associated themselves over the years and have been shrouded by a mystical cover. Cecil Rhodes and the Rothschilds were very close and both were extremely wealthy. Cecil Rhodes had a country named after him, Rhodesia. And the Rothschild family? No family has been as shrouded in a veil of secrecy as the Rothschild family, the wealthiest family to have ever existed. And that is not an exaggeration. Yes, they are involved throughout the world, and not just in the banking industry. It has been estimated that the Rothschild family alone holds well over one half of the world's wealth. Now, this would put them at the top of the pyramid. Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and the Oracle of Omaha, Mr. Warren Buffett, would run way, way back in comparison. But these men all form a consortium of sorts. They jet around the world examining enterprises for investments. Bill Gates has become the largest landowner in the United States. 
Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post, which disseminates information throughout the nation, formerly one of the nation's most respected outlets for news. These men form what is known as the World Economic Forum, the meeting place of the elite. Headed by one of the most well-connected men in global finance, Mr. Klaus Martin Schwab, this World Economic Forum meets to discuss the direction in which they, the elite, wish to take the world. The power represented at this annual meeting is staggering in its reach and its influence. People from all over the world attend. It's from these meetings that countries receive their marching orders, and make no mistake about that. Donald Trump, standing as a billionaire in his own right, was a very, very small fish in this setting. But he was a fish that was causing a great deal of headaches and consternation. He was a wrecking ball in a house of fine porcelain, and really he was unwanted and maligned. As at home, he was hated abroad as well. But we're considering these men for this reason. They, for the most part, are moving full steam ahead in seeking to establish the global government. They scour the globe, and they know the political situation in each nation. They know the educational trends that are setting the pace. They are more than aware of various ideologies. They know the banking situation and the financial stability of each nation. And while they, they feign to be indifferent and unattached, most have made it easily known of their adherence to Marxist socialism for the governing of masses while they set the terms. That is what is meant when you hear the word oligarchy. They set the terms. An oligarchy is a government structure that is established to rule by a select few who have been empowered to govern. In American parlance, the oligarchy is made up of the wealthiest of the wealthy. This is the structure many consider when they speak of those who make the rules. These elite set the cadence, and the national leaders follow obediently, or they somehow, suddenly, or unusually get voted out of office. That the American educational system is being mentioned in such a discussion may seem out of place, but it really is not. Education in every nation is critical. Education comes in various forms, many that we do not even recognize. Television commercials, radio shows, messages through popular music, themes and comedies, classroom settings, sermons and church. I realize that this may sound absolutely outlandish, but these things are not alleged activities, but operations that have been carried out in the American public by the American government. Look into the CIA activities during the late 50s and 60s. Now we're getting out there and we're considering some things that a lot of people don't know. But find out, if you wish, about Operation MK Ultra, and then look into who George Hunter White was and his use of lysergic acid diethylamide, better known as LSD. This is how this particular drug was introduced into the American population by the American government, by the CIA. The goal of this particular program, MKUltra, was to learn how to control or even reprogram people's minds. Thus, we have a bit of history that helps us understand the introduction and use of psychedelic drugs in the 60s and the extent that our government will go to in order to control situations. Now granted, we see this as an extreme methodology. The CIA admittedly conducts operations to brainwash the public through media control, and this is known as Operation Mockingbird. The CIA operation began as the Cold War ramped up in the 1950s. 
In an attempt to gather intelligence and influence public opinion, the CIA recruited journalists from across the United States to spread their message. The scope of this is staggering. It encompassed newspapers, periodicals, press services, news agencies, radio, television, book publishers, and even foreign media outlets. This was investigated in the mid-1970s in Congress by the Church Committee. And these facts are available for your perusal and examination. Operation Mockingbird is alive and thriving even today. Recently, Conan O'Brien revealed a montage of videos to illustrate this point. As fuel prices rise in cost, the government is doing what they can to manage the public frustration by providing scripts for the networks such as CBS, NBC, ABC, and their affiliated cable stations and local stations. They, they give them scripts to use during their evening broadcasts. Showing over 20 clips of various news outlets in various locations, each reporter repeated the exact same script. You don't need us to tell you that gas prices are back on the rise. Each one said these exact same words. This is also witnessed as you see the collusion of the major networks in their failure to report information that detracts from the narrative the present administration is seeking to establish. The government, regardless of party affiliation, is controlling the dissemination of information. Now, we want to play the part of Republican and say we would never do that, or we want to say as Democrats we would never do that. The fact is, both are complicit. Both are playing the game. Various forms of indoctrination are applied, and every avenue is vitally important. Foremost and most critical is the government's literal mandatory classroom training. It's by this method that the ability of critical analysis is seriously interrupted. This is why Johnny cannot read. An educated and critically-minded public will result in an educated individual with a keen mind. The discerning mind is able to remove the blinders that have been put in place and established over time. With this understanding and the intelligence to support it, they see those in high places and what they're doing. And it's these individuals that fear a good mind. Nefarious deeds require darkness. You can't let them grow in their knowledge. The mind has to be controlled. And you want to start as early as you can in establishing this point of control. Thus, Education enters into the picture, and it is by far the most effective tool in the bag. Today, preschool is being recommended throughout the media. Preschool, children as young as three years old are being herded off to government schools, fed, exercised, and taught according to the government-mandated standards. Ask 25-year-olds today how they feel about the government, and see if you get a uniform response. Ask them about their religious preference and see if you get a uniform response. Ask them about sexual preferences and see if you get a uniform response. Ask them about history, who Benjamin Franklin was, who John Adams or James Madison was, and see if you get a uniform response. You will be sorely surprised. This generation and previous generations as well have followed the same script. And yes, it is a serious issue. And yes, I do believe we have a sovereign God, and I am confident, fully persuaded in his ability. I also believe we have an enemy as well. Satan is alive, and he's working, and he loves the mockery and laughter his name generates. 
We're eager to believe in a good God, but we're equally as quick to reject the idea of a powerful and wicked enemy such as Satan, the long red tail and the pitchfork. If you want to find Satan, generally look in the pulpit or the classroom. But seriously, think seriously, practically, and critically. Do you believe that God promotes all the confusion and the lies that we're being confronted with today? You say that he's good. Do you believe that the sexual perversion being accepted is being established by the good God that you believe in? Ah, you blame all this on evil men with evil desires, right? So do I. But where do these men come up with such malevolent ideas? Saul Alinsky made it manifestly clear in the dedication of his book, Rules for Radicals. And I'm quoting him. He said, Lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical, from all our legends, mythology, and history, and who is to know where mythology leaves off and history begins, or which is which, the first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he at least won his own kingdom, Lucifer. One man has rightly said, the whole world lies under the control of the evil one. Essentially, there are two players that we must consider, really, and two alone. And regardless of what all the masterminds, the elite, and all these guys have to say, there's two that we have to consider. This is their chess match. And one laughs at the effort of the evil men. He laughs at the wicked, for he sees their day coming. Their drawn swords will enter their own hearts, and their intentions and efforts will be for naught, and their bows will be broken. And while this day is coming, what we must consider is what is happening today. In order for the global cabal to come together, there has to be a unified understanding of fundamental principles. You cannot have people from various nations holding to a variety of beliefs and expect to have a cohesive body of supplicants. Virtually every nation throughout Europe is deeply rooted in socialistic ideologies. The Fabian Society has permeated governments and influenced leaders for nearly 200 years. Marxism has held a great deal of ground, and socialism has been instituted throughout Europe and here in the United States. Their religion is based on historical materialism. Their God is found in the organized efforts of men in governmental bodies. Being the breeding ground of the enlightened thought, home of the Frankfurt School, fertile ground for both Karl Marx and Charles Darwin, along with the schools of higher criticism, Europe has served as the petri dish for progressivism, and liberal-minded Americans have longed for years to return to the land they left behind. What they cannot seem to do physically, they are doing ideologically. By embracing the foolish ideas and the concepts of foolish men, American public schools are teaching your children that men can have babies and women can have wives, that looting and robbery are acceptable expressions of social justice, that bad is good, and good is all relative. Our children are being taught that their skin color will determine their lot in life. They're being taught that the white man has designed the most elaborate program to manipulate those of color, particularly the brown and black-skinned individuals. But I would ask you to remember this as well, that it was the white men who fought to rid the nation of slavery. The ideas that are flowing into the United States today entered during the early days of the 20th century, and they found fertile ground. Presidents Theodore Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson fully embraced the ideology, as did well-placed intellectuals, and the flow has not abated since then. It has only become stronger. 
What I'm doing, I'm, I'm seeking to look at historical facts and put pieces together in order to get a better understanding of where we are. If we allow the darkness to remain, the poisonous infection will continue to fester. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. So let's get these things out in the open and stop the pretense. These good men have not been misguided. No. First, they are not virtuous and good. Very few politicians have any virtue at all, and I could include Republicans and Democrats. Both have colluded and worked in concert for many decades. Very few have held the nation's interest as their purpose and drive. Too many men leave the private sector, enter into office, public office, and come out a great deal richer than when they went in. Barack Obama is a multi-millionaire. Joe Biden's corruption is despicable, and we should ask how this particular public servant, who has never held a secular job as an adult, has managed to become wealthy beyond imagination. Donald Trump went in with money, and he literally gave his salary away. Harry Truman was a decent man. We might not agree politically, but he was a decent man, and he literally needed to find a ride home when he left Washington. The Clintons, they gave the office of president a bad name and disgraced this nation. They've proven to be a stain on society. But after their visits to the Soviet Union and Hillary's infatuation with Saul Alinsky, they left a hash mark on society that Clorox can't wash out. But let's look at what they have done. Let's consider what they've done to education. After all the money they put forth, after all the efforts they have made, the math scores among high school seniors continues to decline according to the latest round of federal tests. Reading comprehension levels are far below where they were in the 1990s, and they were questionable then. Today, reports reveal that the average high school senior reads at a fifth grade level. The aptitude level in mathematics is below 50%, and that's below the median level, obviously. Some states show that their mathematical skills are at a 20% level of proficiency. Illinois shows a 32% proficiency, which is substantially lower than West Virginia, which shows a 38% proficiency. The government continues to cry more money. The NEA, National Education Association, and the American Federation of Teachers are both extremely progressive teacher unions. And that is a polite way to say they're Marxist in their leanings. And they're not bashful about telling you this. Do you want them to, to teach your children? Do you want them to have a say in what your children learn? Do you want to support them in their efforts? The American child is falling further and further behind, and the government talks loud and long, but does little more than manage the socialist system, indoctrinating our children, and now, under the direction of the Biden administration, they're having the FBI look at all dissenting parents who dare question this particular method of indoctrination. They're calling us domestic terrorists. These are not good times, are they? And you know what? Little Johnny still cannot read, and he's getting further behind with every year. Frank Doss with Vintage Broadcasting. We do appreciate your participation in listening to our broadcast. We hope that it benefits you in some way and that you'll continue listening in the days to come.